Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. In times of trouble, it's easy to get so focused on your hardships that you can't see past them. If you could, you could see God at work, just like Joseph did. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah opens a dark chapter in Joseph's story that demonstrates how God can use today's problems to bring about tomorrow's blessings. Listen now as David introduces today's message, The Lonely Son. Have you ever felt that God had forgotten you? You prayed, you, 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 you knew God loved you, you thought he heard you, but nothing happened. Well, that's what happened to Joseph for two full years. He languished in prison, having been promised by uh, a fellow prisoner that he would be remembered before uh, the boss, if you use that term, and nothing happened. But God hadn't forgotten him. We know the story because we now see it from the back end, and we know what happened. God was at work in Joseph's life, and he's at work in your life too. Whatever you're going through, if it feels like God is delaying, God never delays without a purpose. And he's going to be there when you need him at the right time, as he was for Joseph. We're going to talk about this today as we continue our discussion on the subject of loneliness. This is The Lonely Son, Part 1. And we're looking at the book of Genesis, chapter 40. We'll get started with our lesson in just a moment. But first, friends, we are looking forward to being with many of you this fall in our new rally season. October the 5th in Tampa, Florida, we'll be at the Yingling Center. And then on October the 7th, a couple nights later, in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena. And then on the 26th of October, we'll be in Houston, Texas, at the Berry Center. And the 28th of October, in Fort Worth, Texas, at Dickey's Arena. Tickets are available for these events at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. If you go to that place, you can get the tickets you need, and you will be able to attend one of these rallies that's near your home in these uh, two states. We're looking forward to restarting our rallies. We'd like for you to be a part of it. We'll need your help. I hope you will come and bring friends with you. Bring a group from your church. Bring a busload of folks and come and join us for one of these rallies this fall. Well, let's get started with... um, This discussion of Joseph, the Lonely Son. On November 27, 1965, Howard E. Rutledge parachuted into the hands of the North Vietnamese when his fighter plane exploded under heavy anti-aircraft fire. The story of his subsequent seven-year captivity and torture was popularized several years ago in the best-selling book and movie entitled In the Presence of Mine Enemies. On December 1st, in the year that he was captured, just a few days after his capture, Rutledge was placed in cell two in Heartbreak Hotel, the name given to one of the prisons in Hanoi. He tells in vivid language of the pain of his imprisonment. 
He writes, When the door slammed and the key turned in that rusty iron lock, a feeling of utter loneliness swept over me. I lay down on the cold cement slab in my six-by-six prison. The smell of human excrement burned my nostrils. A rat as large as a small cat scampered across the slab beside me. The walls and floors and ceilings were caked with filth. Bars covered a tiny window high above the door. I was cold and hungry. My body ached from swollen joints and sprained muscles. It's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to unnerve and defeat a man. You quickly tire of standing or of sitting down, sleeping or being awake. There are no books, no papers, no pencils or magazines. The only colors that you see are drab gray and dirty brown. Months or years may go by when you don't see the sunrise or the moon, green grass or flowers. You were locked in, alone and silent, in your filthy little cell, breathing stale, rotten air and trying somehow to keep your sanity." End of quote. I read that and I ask, as I'm sure most of us ask, why would God allow something as evil as this to happen to one of his children? Why would God ever bring to pass in the life of a Howard Rutledge or in anyone's life experiences and circumstances, problems and prisons, which excruciatingly hurt that person and bring them to the very fear of their own life's well-being? Well, Howard Rutledge would learn before 1972 when he was released that sometimes there are advantages to difficulties. He would understand that the purpose behind all of this in his life was for God's glory and his good. Eleven years have now passed since Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers. If you want to calculate his age, you have to carefully look at all of the time references in the text. In chapter 37, in verse 2, we are told he is 17 years of age. Then in chapter 41, in verse 46, we are told that when he ascended to the prime ministership of Egypt, he was 30. And then in the text, we discover that the events of this chapter took place two full years before he became prime minister. Joseph probably was about 27 or 28 years of age. As you know, in spite of his faithfulness to Potiphar and to God, Joseph was slandered by Potiphar's wife. He was put into the royal prison by Potiphar himself, where the royal prisoners were kept. The wording of the first four verses of chapter 40 tell us it was not the common prison, but it was a prison reserved for royal prisoners. There are two words used for prison in the text. One of them is used in chapter 39 and in verse 20. It is the word hasohar in the Hebrew language. It is literally translated the house of roundness. And supposedly it refers to maybe a round kind of prison, perhaps a castle, or maybe a prison that was surrounded by a round wall. The other word is used later on in the 40th chapter, and it is the word for pit or hole, or sometimes it is translated dungeon. All we know about the place where Joseph was placed was this. It was a round kind of dungeon where royal prisoners were kept apart from the common criminals. Now the scripture says that shortly after 
Joseph was incarcerated, there were two additional prisoners who were added to the group. The king of Egypt became angry with his chief butler and baker and assigned them to jail. What they did, we are not told. But we do know that the role of the chief butler was to taste all of the food and the wine that was served to the king so that if there was poison in it, he would die and the king would live. I don't think they ever campaigned for that job. It must have been an assignment. The baker made all of the food that was eaten in the kingdom. And so we have to assume that since both of them were put in prison, that on a particular night, the two of them had served up some pretty bad grub to the king. Now they're in prison. And the scripture says that shortly after their sentence has begun, Joseph notices on their face early one morning a troubled look. And he asks them, why are you so sad? And they say in concert, last night we had a terrible dream. And we know it has significance, but we don't know how to interpret it. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me the dream and I will interpret it for you with God's help. Now the butler's dream, which is recorded in verses 9 through 15 of the 40th chapter, in his dream he sees three branches of a vine blossom and produce grapes. He presses the grapes into Pharaoh's cup and serves the wine to him. And Joseph explains the dream to mean that in three days, the three branches, the butler would be restored by Pharaoh to his original position as chief butler in the kingdom. After hearing the interpretation of the butler's dream, the baker can't wait to get his out. This is going to be good news, but he was to be disappointed. The baker said that in his dream he saw three white baskets on his head in tears. And the baskets are filled with dainties. But the birds of the air come and snatch the dainties away. And Joseph explains to the baker that the three baskets are three days. And at the end of the three days, the baker will be hung by Pharaoh and the birds will pluck away his flesh. Three days later, to be sure, it was Pharaoh's birthday and he had a royal party. He celebrated his birthday by hiring the butler and hanging the baker, just as Joseph said it would be. But the main purpose of the story is not to give us all of that historical information. The main purpose of the story is to remind us that just before the butler left to go back to the throne to serve the king, Joseph said to the butler, please remember me when you get back there because I am unjustly here in this prison. I have done nothing to deserve imprisonment. And the scripture tells us that when the butler got back to his place of responsibility, well, look down in your Bibles at verse 23 of the 40th chapter. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Why the butler forgot, we do not know, but we can be sure of this. It was not a lapse of memory. It was more probably an intentional forgetfulness on his part. Perhaps he thought that he did not want to stir up the memory of days past. Maybe he reasoned that if he spoke about the release of Joseph, that Pharaoh would think he was unsupportive of his kingly policies. And so the scripture says that for two whole years, Joseph's name was never mentioned in the kingdom by the butler. Now, that story is the scenario of Joseph's next episode in his dealings with God, in prison and forgotten. 
And it seems to me that it is a reminder to all of us that there are advantages in our difficulties. As we watch Joseph walk through this situation, we learn from him that God has a purpose for each one of us and that in each of our lives there will come the prison experiences. There will come the problems, the difficulties, and that in the midst of those, God wants to teach us and he wants us to learn. It would be easy for us to say, as we often do with our personal problems, why me? Why now? Why this? Why does God allow things like this to come into our lives? And I'd like to take the few moments that are before me to extract with you from this passage of Scripture some principles that will help us. I cannot tell you what a source of encouragement these words from this portion of God's Word has been to my own life. So let me talk with you for a few moments about the advantages of difficulty. First of all, problems are often given to us by God to provide us greater opportunities. And we as God's children need to learn how to look for the possibilities in our problems. It is interesting that there is an entire section of the New Testament which we call the prison epistles. Because Paul wrote them to individuals and to churches while he was incarcerated in a Roman cell. The book of Revelation, which has been such a great blessing to us all, that outlines the entire future scheme of things, was written by the Apostle John while he was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. And it was in prison that John Bunyan saw the great allegory, later became the immortal Pilgrim's Progress. Sometimes great things happen in prisons. And Joseph is about to learn in his prison experience that he has not been forgotten by God and that God in his mercy sees him. It is while he is in prison that God brings him into a relationship with the man who would ultimately be the link that would get Joseph to the fruition of his boyhood dreams while he was in prison. I remember hearing Charles Colson, and he closed his speech as he has closed many of his speeches since he has been released from prison. And as he closed one of the chapters in his book, Loving God, he said, My lowest days as a Christian, and there were low ones, seven months worth of them in prison to be exact. He said, My lowest days as a Christian have been far more fulfilling and rewarding than all the days of the glory in the White House. Because in prison, he learned to know God and to walk with God. And he learned the value of fellowship and oneness with other brothers in Christ. Yes, sometimes difficulties are necessary in our lives because once in a while, problems are the means that God uses to provide other opportunities for us that he wants us to have. The second thing about problems that I've noticed in this text is this. Problems promote our spiritual maturity. Problems can make us better if we refuse to let them make us bitter. Apart from the Lord himself, there is not anybody that I know of who experienced more unfair treatment than Joseph. He stands out as a classic example of one who was repeatedly mistreated. He obeyed his father by going the extra mile from Shechem to Dothan as a result of that. And for a reward, he was thrown into a pit and then sold to a group of traveling slave traders. He stood faithful to God and kept his purity and his morality. And as a reward for that, he was slandered by Potiphar's wife and thrown into a dungeon. 
While in the dungeon, he faithfully told the story of one man's dream, and the man promised to remember him, but the scripture says when he got back to the kingdom, he forgot him. He helped the butler, and he was forgotten by him for two full years. It seems as if no matter what Joseph does, no matter how good he is, all he ever seems to get for his good behavior is pain and misery. But will you notice that there is not one shred of evidence that Joseph ever complained? In verse 15, he does relate the injustice of his situation to the butler, but it is not a complaint. It is simply a statement of the fact. Instead of getting bitter and angry at God, Joseph allowed God to use this experience to make him better. As you look back on Joseph's life, it's not hard to realize that he probably had a very soft life as a child. While his brothers were out working, Joseph was walking around home in his long white coat. They were working hard and slaving, and Joseph was living the life of a prince. If God was going to use Joseph, he would have to toughen him up. He would have to make him ready to be the prime minister of Egypt during a worldwide famine that would surely require a strong man. And the psalmist alludes to this hardening process. In Psalm 105 and verse 17 and 18, we read this about Joseph. That God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons. The marginal reading translates the last phrase of that verse like this. His soul came into iron. And I read an old English translation that has it this way. Iron entered into his soul. When Joseph came out of prison, he was an iron-souled man. He was a man of great wisdom and courage and determination. He acts every bit like a born leader when he ascends to the high place of government in Egypt. By himself, he carries a nation that is foreign to him through a terrible, terrible famine without even one sign of revolt. He was prepared for the hardship of famine because he had experienced the pain of prison. God wants and needs iron saints today. And the only way iron ever gets into our souls is when God lets us suffer a little bit and hurt a little bit and go through problems that just cry out from our human perspective. And God makes us strong through suffering. Scripture says it this way, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who are exercised thereby. I was given a copy of a book written by Florence Bull entitled, God Wants You Rich and Other Enticing Doctrines. And in the book, she makes this very valuable statement. She says, the deception in the success prosperity doctrine is subtle. It sounds so spiritual to assert that we cannot be sick or fail if we trust God, and that he will reward us for faith and giving and being good by making us rich in material things. But this was not the message of the early church fathers, nor was it the message of the men and women of faith who throughout history set church and nation aflame with revival. The more we pursue such poppycock, she wrote, the more likely we will end up like pampered children Getting everything we want won't turn us into soldiers for Christ. We may wear a tailored suit with gold buttons and hash marks, 
but we will be no more soldiers than the six-year-old with his feet shoved in his dad's old combat boots carrying a wooden gun. Unchecked, the prosperity success syndrome will not see Christians developing together into a vigorous, stout-hearted, indomitable church. Rather, it will reduce the body of Christ to spiritual flabbiness. End of quote. And that's biblical. That's true. Bible nowhere tells us that we will walk from the cradle to the grave, avoiding problems in the process. Problems are God's gift to us sometimes to make us strong, to put iron in our souls. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we try to help others in their time of difficulty, and if we are not careful, we actually abort the process God intended for their growth. If Reuben, for instance, had made good on his intentions to get Joseph out of the pit and returned him to his father, Joseph would have missed out on the entire ministry God had in store for him. If Potiphar had rescued Joseph from the tortures of prison, Joseph would never have met the one man that would lead him into greatness. The problems were simply the avenues that God used to bring him from where he was to where God wanted him to be. And in the process, he fired his soul with steel so he could face the challenges that were ahead. Problems promote our maturity. Thirdly, that when problems come, problems prove our integrity. Our character, if it is genuine, is never altered by the circumstances. There's a lot of misunderstanding about that. But let me tell you, Joseph, above all, was a man of great character. And nothing so exemplifies our character like the way in which we face difficulties. Character is often confused for reputation, but there is a vast difference. Reputation, you see, is what others suppose we are. Character is what we really are. Reputation is what men think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Reputation is what is chiseled on your tombstone. Character is what the angels say about you before the throne of God. And character never changes when the circumstances change. Because, you see, problems prove our integrity. I hear people say once in a while, but the situation made me this way. Oh, no. The situation revealed the way you were. And when we face the difficulties of life, it is a wonderful opportunity for God to use us to demonstrate the reality and the integrity of our character before others. Fourth, problems produce a sense of dependency. In verses 20 and 21 we read, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison but the Lord was with Joseph. Everywhere Joseph went, God went with him. You see, the only thing that can separate you from God is not circumstances, but sin. As long as you keep your life pure and holy and righteous before the Lord, God is obligated to follow you or go before you wherever you end up. But sin separates between you and God. Sin breaks fellowship. So whatever your problems might be, make sure you're righteous and holy before God and you have God's guarantee that whether it's in prison or in a pit or in a palace, God will go with you. He is obligated to go with those who walk with him. And he is in prison with Joseph. Yeah, isn't that great? God goes to prison. And you know, we have a lot of prisoners who listen to this program. And you need to know that God's in prison with you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't uh, walk away when they turn the key. He stays with you. And how I know that is 
every week I get letters from people who listen to Turning Point on the radio in prison, and once in a while, people who get to watch on television. And uh, they tell me how the Word of God touches their life and how they gather with their fellow prisoners to study the Scripture and listen to the teaching. So a special salute to all of you who are in prison today. Joseph is your uh, poster child, and he's there to tell you God will never leave you. He isn't going to leave you now, and he won't in the future. Keep trusting him. He's got you in his hands. Friends, don't forget you can get a copy of the book, God Has Not Forgotten You, uh, which I have written. It is now in a beautiful, beautiful gift book. And it's yours for the asking during the month of August when you send a gift to Turning Point of any size. All you have to do is say, please send me the book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and uh, send a gift to help us. And do your best. We want you to give your best gift, whatever that may be. And then simply ask for the book, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. I know when you open the package and see this book, you're going to be delighted, and you'll want to jump into its content immediately. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to join us next time right here in this good station. This is Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. We teach the Word of God here, and we're glad that you come to join us. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Overcoming Loneliness, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's reassuring new book, God Has Not Forgotten You a comforting reminder that God is working all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Overcoming Loneliness, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Sailors used to be unwilling to risk their lives on the open sea in a violent storm, so they would look for any harbor that offered shelter, and thus involved the saying, any port in a storm meaning any port is better than being in a dangerous storm. 
People use the phrase today, any port in a storm, to justify whatever will get them out of the trouble they're in. But that kind of situational ethic has no biblical base. It's far better to trust God to see you through the storm than to escape it in a port that is more dangerous than the storm itself. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's safe harbor on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.